what is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, we are flipping the switch, and Sam Miller, my good friend and fellow coach, is going to be interviewing me, kind of. We did definitely bounce back and forth, but I definitely talked a little bit more than him because that was the goal, actually. He was going to come on. He was going to interview me specifically on training program design. He is going to come back back on in about a week or so, and I am going to interview him specifically on the science behind applied nutrition. So our goal with this, just to fill you guys in, is to build some hype and let you guys in on a seminar that we are going to be doing together um, in collaboration here in Seattle, March 23rd. So if you guys listen to the show, you guys decide that you want to come see me and Sam speak, you want to hear us talk about what we do best, which is training, nutrition, and coaching, and you want to learn from us in person so you can apply all the information that we are providing into your own coaching practice or for your programming nutrition and results, then you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes today. You can sign up, get your tickets. It is March 23rd here in Seattle. As you sign up, you will get an email confirmation and you will be directly Uh, reached out to by myself and Sam with further details about the event. But it is in Seattle. It is on Saturday, March 23rd. Um, More to come on this. We haven't done a ton of promoting. So you guys listening to this are actually the first to hear about it, period. So you will see more about this on Facebook, Instagram, on the next two podcasts that we are going to be doing together because we got a ton of questions just about training when people knew that Sam was coming on to interview me. Um, And I'm sure we'll get a bunch more when I shout out that he is coming on to do uh, nutrition as well. So The plan was actually to go over the questions today, um, but we didn't even get a chance to because an hour flew by so quick going into depth with every aspect of how we program design from shifting from in-person to online, exercise sequencing, volume, intensity, frequency, um, changing things depending on the individual, RPE versus audio regulation versus percentage-based training, uh, West Side conjugate method, all these different aspects of different people we've learned from. We literally touched on so many key components when it comes to successfully program design, uh, designing training for general population, bodybuilders, physique, strength, hypertrophy, performance, even touched on CrossFit a little bit at the end. So we talked about a lot of great stuff, and I think you guys are going to get a ton out of this. Um, Once again, if you want to see us in person live and get this to the full effect, you can come to the seminar and see us March 23rd. You will hear way more about that, but there are a limited amount of seats. So if you want to make sure that you get access to this and you get a ticket right away for a seat, you can click the link in the show notes. It'll take you there. It'll be the first link that you see. Now, before we do get into the show, two quick things, guys. Number one, remember that we did launch the Performance Nutrition Manual this week if you are listening to this on time on Friday. And uh, that means it's still 50% off because the first entire week of the launch, it will be 50% off. So if you are somebody who is looking to improve their performance, if you are an athletic uh, person at all, so if you play any type of sport, if you are a competitive CrossFitter, a bodybuilder, or you're just a weekend warrior who loves to get in the gym, get after it, and perform at his, his best, his or her best, and you're looking to maximize your performance, your recovery, the PRs you see, and all the gains you see from your hard work in the gym, this is the ebook for you because it's going to teach you everything you need to know to understand how to eat to perform and recover better to see better results in the gym. And I'm talking macros, micros, nutritional periodization, sodium, water, supplements, like literally everything is covered. This book is written by Coach Caroline and myself. You guys will love this book. You can get that at 50% off for two more days, I think. 
when this airs two more days, trying to do uh, day math <laughs> in my head. Uh, but you can grab that now. That'll be the second link in the show notes if you guys want to jump on that and grab the performance nutrition manual. And the second and final announcement, guys, if you enjoyed the show, if you're excited for the part two, the seminar, the part three for the questions, any of this, or you have specific questions, the best way to let us know what you guys want to hear next when Sam jumps back on the show is to tag us on Instagram. This is also the best way for me to grow the show, reach more people, and help more people. So I would really appreciate you doing so. All you have to do, take a screenshot right now of your screen, post it on your Instagram story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom. Tag Sam at Sam Miller Science. I'll put both of our uh, usernames in the description below so you can see those. Tag us both. When we DM you and say thank you for listening, please tell us who or what you want to hear on the podcast next so we can provide that for you guys. All right, without any further ado, here is Sam Miller from Oracle Coaching actually interviewing me. All right, guys, welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Uh, this is Sam Miller with Oracle Training and Nutrition. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Cody. We're actually going to co- be collaborating to talk a little bit of training, uh, both online program design, mapping out your individual training sessions, and also overall cycles, what to look for in quality training programs that are safe, effective, and get you the results you want, whether it's strength, hypertrophy, or a specific athletic goal. So I really enjoyed coming on the podcast the first time, and I'm very fortunate to be able to pick Cody's brain on something that we're both super passionate about. We're also going to be coming to you live in Seattle on March 23rd. So really looking forward to that as well. Cody, what's up, man? What's going on, dude? This is kind of weird. Like you said, welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. <laughs> I think I think it'll be weird when, you know, after everyone recognizes your music, when you kind of roll into the intro because you've got that set, set tone, like I know when it comes on my podcast playlist, I know that's Cody. So people are going to hear my voice and be like, Double take, what What was that? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for the seminar too. I think that uh, I've been wanting to do something like this for a long time. And I think it was cool when we first talked about like what we were going to base it on and talk about. We were both kind of like, well, I can do training. Well, I can do nutrition. Well, you could do training or, you know what I mean? Kind of going back and forth. And I think that's why it's going to be really cool is because both of us are so passionate about both aspects that we're going to bring two very similar perspectives, but we do things differently at the same time. So I think it's going to be really good because we're both very, um, I would say science-based or evidence-based, which I think is kind of like a, a weird okay. term now because yeah, everybody says it now, but mm-hmm. uh, in an applicable way. And I want people to know that like my goal with the seminar is to just make sure that it's super application-based because I think we can read studies and science all day long, but if you can't apply it, what's the point? Yeah. It's like bridging that gap between common sense-based and evidence-based, which I agree is kind of overused. It's funny, we had that phone call and passed the baton back and forth a couple times of, well, I always get asked about macros. Well, I always get asked about hormones. <laughs> no, I yeah. got like hypertrophy training for physique. Uh, and so I think we're both excited to potentially branch into some topics that uh, we don't always get to talk about or people aren't necessarily asking us those questions. And one of my favorite things about coming on your podcast is that your level of education for your audience and just what you bring to your clients and your programs allows you to ask better, more informed questions, which I think add a lot of value for the audience. So hopefully I can uh, embrace my inner Cody today, ask some quality questions, get some good answers for the audience from you uh, that will ultimately shed some light on both your programming style and philosophy and then also through my questions and maybe some additional collaboration towards the end, we can talk a little bit about uh, how I like to set things up as well. So definitely looking forward to it and ready to jump in beyond just, we're doing more than macros today. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I should probably throw this out there just so people know. Um, like he said, March 23rd in Seattle. If you do want to opt in, I already have a link in the show notes so you can click it. We do not have a full funnel of breaking down everything we're doing, but I wanted to get something. So if you want to jump in, you know, Sam, you know me, and you know what we're going to bring to the table and you want to join, you can buy a ticket now. They are limited, but the link is in the show notes. More to come on that for social media and everything, but we're doing this already. There will be more podcasts to follow as well. So I figured I'd throw that out there because otherwise people are going to reach out and be like, okay, well, you said you're doing a seminar. How do I go? Um, and if you guys have any questions, just our emails will be in the show notes as well. You guys can ask us any questions and we can uh, fill you in on more details about the specific seminar and what we're going to be doing. Definitely. Yeah, I know I'm excited about it. I think even just the opportunity to go back and forth on both topics, both training, nutrition, even hormones. We talked a little bit about business stuff as well. So if you're a coach, um, I think this can benefit you not only in terms of how you set up your programs for your clients, uh, but even how you think of things for yourself and, and your own training. So I always enjoy, I, you know, my goal for today's conversation is if you could be a fly on the wall when Cody and I actually like have hung out in person um, the handful of times that I think you'd really enjoy and get a lot out of it. So just having that conversation in terms of something that we're both really passionate about, hopefully allows you guys to learn and apply it, whether you're a coach or just kind of on your own fitness journey. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's, let's kind of dive into before we, we have a bunch of questions that people sent in, um, knowing we were going to do this. So we're going to dive into those here in a sec. Um, but I would like to touch on what the seminar is going to be about from the training perspective. And we'll leave the nutrition kind of open because we are going to do a follow-up podcast talking all about nutrition. So we'll touch on that later, but my thoughts behind what I want to bring to the table, um, and you can kind of give me your feedback of what you would like me to do more of or what you would like to add into that. But from the training perspective, my goal with the seminar is to have people leaving understanding program design on just a more, again, application-based level, but just a confidence level. I think a lot of people go into program design for their clients in their fearful or worried or insecure because they don't know if what they are doing is going to work. They kind of throw things on a piece of paper and it's like crossing your fingers and hoping that something turns out of it a month down the road. But we don't know how we are tracking metrics. We don't know how to uh, predetermine if progress is even going to be made. So how can you set yourself up to ensure progress is made, assuming the client actually follows everything you give them, but do it in a way that is fun is injury risk free so you're not banging people up you make them feel good you're using your energy systems properly so you're not getting fatigued across the midway point of the session so on and so forth and i think if people can understand the sequencing behind a daily program how that affects your week-to-week -week programming and then how that fits into the monthly blocks um, I think that's what I really want people to take away because if they can leave and understand better how to program for an online client or an in-person client, then I think it's a win. That's the biggest thing for me. And, and a lot of people I think fail to, like we kind of touched on this, people understand either how to make a really great one day program. Like you come and hang or work out with me in the gym and it, you get a sweat on, you feel good, you feel great but they don't know how to look at it from the long perspective or people know the periodization for a power lifter on a 12 month plan, but they don't understand how to fit that into a client who's only going to be with you for one, two, three months because we really never know the lifetime um, length of a client, right? So understanding how to maximize the time you have with the client, I think is one of the biggest problems people and coaches have. Um, and then making things fun. I see a lot of programs that are great from science, but they're just boring as shit. They're confusing as shit. There's too much variance. Like I want to make sure my clients are doing what they enjoy. So they not only get results, but they actually enjoy the process along the way. 
for sure. And I like that. So to kick us off, I want to start with a super basic question because I feel like you touched on so many different components and facets of what uh, makes a good program. But I want to uh, hold the proverbial gun to your head here and say, you know, to you, Cody, what is a quality training program? What, what does that mean to you? And what are, if you had to put a two to three sentence definition behind it with the most important or integral components, what is that? If I had to say, like if I boiled it down to like three or four things, it'd probably be, number one, it needs to produce a result. So no matter, it has to produce the result that a client actually wants. So don't program according to what you feel is best, program according to what the client actually wants to see. So if they want strength, muscle, fat loss, like make sure whatever their goal is, even if those things kind of all fit in the same realm, um, you need to make sure that their goal is always at the first and forefront of your mind of when you're programming. I would say number two is injury prevention. I think that if you don't consider joint health, posture, energy systems, uh, central nervous system fatigue, anything like that, I think you're asking for destruction down the road. So making sure that injury prevention is always on the forefront rather than going so hard and having to rehabilitate, which is completely out of our scope of practice from the, for the most part, right? Um, and then I would say these two kind of fit in the same category. So the top three things, I guess, would be adherence and fun. And I think if you don't have fun with your programming, you're probably not going to adhere long, but we got to consider adherence. So if I program out four days a week because I feel this is best for the client going towards this specific goal, but their goal doesn't match my idea, their days per week don't match what is what I think is best for them, it's not feasible for them, whatever it may be, then we're failing, right? So we need to keep adherence again, on the forefront of our mind, because if we don't allow them to have fun and joy and stay consistent, none of it's going to work in the first place. And I, I mean, that applies with everything, whether we're talking about business, nutrition, relationships, like anything in life, if you can't adhere to whatever habit you're building, what the fuck's the point? So um, definitely would be keeping the result at the main focal point, making sure you're preventing injuries and then having fun so you can actually adhere to the program. Those would be like the three things that come to my mind first when I think of like what creates a good program. For sure. I love the uh, longevity element of that because I think that's something that gets lost a lot as we're, I think in the fitness industry as a whole, we're always, you know, have a certain level of pressure to create results for your clients. But ultimately, uh, the person that can go 90 to 100% and do it week after week, month after month, year after year is going to get better results compounded over time than the person that goes really hard for four weeks, burns out, injures themselves, has to rehab, start over. So I love that Cody had the longevity component. Uh, I'm a big believer in terms of choice and selection when it comes to programming as well and being very strategic with your movements. And that's where I feel like the enjoyment portion of it comes in, but also individual client goals because accessory work for a power lifter or a weak lift or a strong man is going to, could be different than a physique athlete or bodybuilder or general lifestyle client that just needs uh, to get in and out of the gym and realistically can only go to the gym three days a week. So I love that answer, which brings me to my next question. I want you to break down the considerations and the evolution in your career from programming as a in-person face-to-face trainer to doing programming online for your business. So a lot of people who listen to this podcast, uh, maybe either are an online coach or are looking to transition to online coaching or potentially, uh, they're still an in-person coach or maybe they're, uh, on their own fitness journey, looking to hire a coach. So talk about the evolution in your programming, if there was any change whatsoever, um, and the primary challenges that come with each. Uh, personally, I know that you can auto-regulate a little bit better when you're seeing someone face-to-face and uh, see kind of how they're going through an individual session, but tell me how you build that into your programs and uh, 
you know, talk about that evolution over your career so that you can work with clients now from a distance as you do. Yeah, man. I, I love uh, what you said about burning out too. I think people need to grasp onto that before I go into this, just because I always say like, you should be 90% on point 100% of the time, instead of trying to be hundred percent on point 90% of the time is that 10% gap is going to screw you up in the long run. So I a hundred percent agree. Um, that's a really interesting question. I didn't know we were going to go into that, but I think that's a great question because that's where a lot of people and actually like inside my, uh, my new mentorship that I've launched and I'm, I've created like the first entire, we do uh, regular uh, webinars, the whole, I was on there for over an hour just going over this exact topic because it's so misled. And, and I think the biggest thing was education. Like when I was in person, like you said, auto regulation was so much easier. So was just kind of guiding them, right? Like if I could see where their RPE was at visually, I could change the weights for them. I could tone, change the reps. I could tone things down or ramp things up. I could add volume as we go. I can like the programs in my hand, not theirs. I can literally guide them through the whole process. So educating the client on what auto regulation is, what RPE is and how to feel those things, how to intuitively know when you should turn up, when you should turn down, when you should recover more when you can ramp up how your body's feeling. I think those things became just more of a topic of conversation. Like I just had to really grill that into people's brain and talk to them about those things. So they understood because I wasn't going to be there with them going through that process. My systems had to in improve dramatically because when I'm in person, I can, again, regulate everything because even like in, a, in the facility I worked at, so there was I would do a session with somebody once, twice, three times a week. Maybe they were in my small group. So I ran a class called strength camp. So that was like just lifting. Maybe they did my private sessions and that, and they were doing like the metabolic classes, right? Either way, if I'm not training you directly, I see you at the gym multiple times a week, no matter what, that's just how our gym ran. So I would do a session with you and the next day I'd see you walk in and I'd ask you for feedback. Yeah. You know, how was your biofeedback? How was your sleep? How's your stress? How's your fatigue level today? Um, neurologically and physically. So those things allowed me to dictate, okay, the next session, or, Hey, you're going to this metabolic session. I, I want you to change this to this. I want you to switch this to this. I want you to bring it down a notch because I could see what they were doing. So those conversations became way more prevalent in online coaching through email and phone calls. And then obviously I had to create systems around it, making sure they're tracking their motivation level every day, their fatigue level every day, their hours of sleep. So I could see these things. So the biggest thing that changed for me, and I think that that people shifting into the online business need to understand is that your systems need to improve dramatically when you go online because you can't just be there and hope that they do well. And you can't expect people to be intuitive because the reality is, is nobody isn't very good intuitively. Even like people like me, like I will push through, like in my head, I go, you're a puss, just go, go for it. Right. And I'll just push through and train harder. And that's not a smart idea, even though my daughter didn't sleep all night. I barely ate last night. Like I, I had three glasses of wine, whatever it may be. And I'm stressed, but mentally I'm like, screw that. Let's train hard. So I need a coach as well. I need to track my sleep and all those things to give me feedback to tell me to slow down. So systems, systems need to improve. Communication needs to improve. As far as like the training goes, I would say the biggest thing was understanding that periodization or like a quote unquote block of training doesn't need to be like written in stone. And what I mean by that is, you know, like when I was in person, I could read people's, I mean, shit, Mike and Christian Thibodeau would talk about this, like their neurotype. I could read people's personality type. I've done neurotype systems and certification. So I understood that process. And he actually came to our gym years ago and did one of the first neurotyping things. So I implemented that a long time ago and I could kind of read people's personality and some clients, they would do something different with me 
every single time they walked in the gym because I knew that they would get bored. They wouldn't progress because it was stale. They weren't having fun and I needed to do that. Now, they didn't realize that I'm, they're still doing a squat in the six to eight rep range for this entire four to six week block, but I'm changing variations. I'm changing tempos, doing things like that. Um, I can't do that online. Number one, it, it doesn't make sense from a time perspective. Number two, I can't see that person in the gym getting bored. I, I don't know if they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs in between sets or if they're really amped up to do it. So again, communication, but then understanding that at the end of the day, there's certain things that should be periodized over the course of, I would say like a three to five week block. Like that's kind of like an estimate, but sticking with the same thing for three, four or five weeks, certain things should be like that. And they kind of are written in stone for the most part. Like we need to squat in this rep range for an extended period of time, working on some form of progressive overload, whether that's tempo, adding a rep, adding a set, um, adding weight, some kind of volume increase, intensity increase. And then certain things can be more loosely tracked a long time and we can kind of adjust those things more frequently. So for some clients, because I know their personality type now after having these systems and communication, they might get different accessory work every week, every other week, every three weeks, their compound lifts stay every three, four, five weeks. I have some clients that keep the compound lift for eight to 12 weeks because they can slowly progress week after week and never get bored. Um, I have some clients that'll stay with the entire same program for eight weeks because they actually get anxiety if it changes too much because they feel like they're out of control. So I think, again, comes back to communication really, but understanding that no periodization model, no like time frame or block, um, even though there are micro cycles, macro cycles, meso cycles, none of it is really written in stone. And I think any way you do it can progress a client as long as you're matching it up with them, if that makes sense. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to just remind you that one of the biggest things about the Boom Boom Performance movement is free content. We are literally here trying to change the world, and part of doing that is trying to give away as much free shit as possible. Literally, we want to educate the world on how to live a better life from our physical body to our mental sanity. We want to work with everybody possible and help them get educated on what it means to have proper nutrition, smart training, and live a healthier lifestyle to improve every aspect of their life. And part of that is giving away as much free content as possible, as well as offering some really cool stuff to you guys, the listeners, the followers, the subscribers, whoever is listening to the show right now. So I want to remind you that we have tons of eBooks. We have the membership site. We offer coaching. We give away free seminars. We do so much stuff and all of it can be found at boomboomperformance.com slash content. Or you can click the first link you see in the description of this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. For sure. So one thing I like that you brought up uh, in terms of the systems, you mentioned uh, biofeedback, auto-regulation, all these things. But I think the biggest thing in the shift from in-person to online and just in program design in general, uh, you know, you mentioned RPE scale, which brings up intensity, right? So I know, obviously, you know, your first personal sort of personal trainer certification ever, you're going to learn about uh, managing volume, intensity, and uh, how essentially you can manipulate these variables over time, you know, depending on the individual, depending on the training goal, all these different things. So um, love that you talked about that, that difference. I think one thing that came up over the course of that conversation, whether you in, intended to or not, or it's just something that you're passionate about, is managing that intensity, uh, which, depending on the person, their neurotype, their biofeedback, hormonal profile, diet, life stress, you know, everything, 
is going to be kind of individualized to them. So I think that's a, a great segue to talk about some of the major training variables, regardless of, of in-person or online, is looking at you know our training frequency, our training intensity, and our training volume, managing those, and really just kind of an overview for everyone, like what these mean, why they're so vitally important, and how it can really help to carve out a successful program. And, and you mentioned things like tempo, um, we can increase RPE or perceived exertion or percentage of a one rep max. Um, you know, obviously there are so many different ways that we can accomplish this. So maybe we start at the top and then talk about some of our favorite ways to uh, manipulate those variables across the training program. Yeah. Um, I think one, just to like kind of bridge the gap between the two conversations we just had, one of the things that did switch a lot for me as I went into the online space, um, was understanding that number one percentages, uh, again, aren't written in stone too. I think like when I would create a program and I'm basing this lift off of 85% of their one rep max in person, I can be way more intuitive about that. And then when I put it on paper and send it to an online client, they were not intuitive about that. And they wouldn't necessarily get hurt, but it fatigued them way more because their first set was just grueling. And in person, I would have been like, okay, let's pull back a little bit, make that 80% or 75% today. But they don't know that. So I think tying in percentages and like RPE, because if it says about 85% of your one rep max, I would say today's one rep max and RPE has been something that has taken over for me um, compared to percentages when it comes to online coaching, because it just helps that auto-regulation so much more. Because if you know it's an eight out of 10, you're not supposed to go balls to the wall. And, and studies show sub-maximal training is probably going to be more beneficial than maximal training when we look at the frequency of either one like there's time and place for maximal training especially if you're a power lifter but for most people just trying to build muscle or just trying to get in shape like you sh should way more commonly stay in that sub-maximal range that 60 to 80 percent versus going above that sometimes we hit 85 90 percent but very rarely right so i think that's very important but when it comes to um program design and like the most common things that make up results, we're going to be talking about volume, intensity, frequency. It's pretty well known. Um, and I would say, depending on your goal, I would say frequency always comes last because at the end of the day, frequency is a tool in order to manipulate volume and intensity. Really? Um, I think frequency plays a bigger role in something like powerlifting or Olympic lifting simply because the more you do a skill, a movement, the better you get at, it, the more you increase your skill. And a lot of times, Olympic lifting and powerlifting is just as much about strength or power as it is about the skill behind going through the movement pattern. Um, but for building muscle, for changing body composition, for improving performance, things like that, usually it stays in that volume intensity. What I like to do, and I'd love to get your take on this too, but I typically stay in that like 75% of your volume, maybe like two thirds of your volume should be more hypertrophy based, quote unquote, uh, bodybuilding style. If your goal is building muscle 25 or one third of your, uh, training should still be in that power strength range, whether you like to train strength or not, because it's going to contribute to that hypertrophy goal and the opposite for strength. So if your only goal is strength, you can't just do hundred percent strength work. You need to do about one third of your training in that hypertrophy range, because that's going to help contribute to more strength gains in the long term. So kind of keeping on that scale and you can do it one of two ways. We can look at it from a three month period. That means you go two months in a row of hypertrophy training one month strength training if your goal is hypertrophy or you can just kind of have like a daily undulated periodization system where two-thirds of your week is hypertrophy one-third is strength which is what I prefer I think when you have an online client and 
you assume they're going to be with you for three months or six months or whatever it is, but you, nobody ever knows the longevity of a client. Are they going to get injured? Is, is there going to be a serious event in their life that takes them out of the gym? Are they going to quit? You never know. So I think daily undulated periodization where you have multiple intensities or, or ranges every week, session to session, I think, in my opinion, is the best way to go with clients because you're kind of keeping your bases covered and making sure you're hitting on a little bit of both. For sure. So I, I love, uh, first of all, man, it's like cool to see you go off on these topics. So I'm just sitting here like, obviously, people listen to podcasts can't see me, but I'm like smiling, looking at Cody, because I can tell like how much he loves to talk about this stuff. And for me, you know, I love your point on frequency, because I think frequency is a tool um, for what your recovery can allow. So if your nutrition is on point, if your lifestyle is not super stressful, you know, there have been times in my life where I'm able to really ramp up training frequency. And that could be body part training frequency, like how often I'm hitting a weak muscle group, or it could just be my frequency in terms of across the week, you know, out of seven days, how many of those days am I actually getting into the gym? So I love that that was viewed as a tool, as a way to kind of modulate what we're doing on the volume side and the intensity side as well. And I certainly fall in that subset of where we're dividing that training, where there's some strength, strength work included with the hypertrophy work. I like to do it on a daily and weekly basis, as opposed to mapping it out across like, um, you know, two months of hypertrophy and a month of strength. Sometimes I, I have experimented that with that in the past, but what I really like, and this, this may ultimately segue us into a movement selection conversation. And I know you're big on like priming movements and patterns and, um, ways to essentially be intelligent with your training volume. But I'm definitely a big fan of, you can use hypertrophy work whether it's in an activation sense or um, just in getting the right muscle groups to fire to then do your strength work. So if I'm trying to work with someone that has specific muscular development goals or hypertrophy goals, um, doing, you know, being strategic, not only with that strength movement and the intensity around that strength movement, but where I'm putting the hypertrophy work. Um, you know, I know we've had kind of some similar influences and mentors in the sense where sometimes, you know, your A block of your training session may actually be, whether it's some priming or some hypertrophy stuff or, or more traditional rep ranges that would fall on the muscle building side. And then following that up with maybe movement B is actually your explosive work where you're hitting a squat or you're hitting a pressing variation or rowing variation or a compound pulling movement or deadlift or something like that. So uh, that definitely kind of aligns with my philosophies and we can kind of talk about why as we go over time but i like that breakdown in terms of not only how we're being strategic with the training volume how we're being strategic with intensity and uh you know love the comment as far as percentage bases as well i really do not like percentages with online clients i will either give them a range or it's a percentage with an rpe next to it or it's just based off of the daily training max i think the evolution of the daily training max or weekly training max or like a specific uh very uh, close to whatever cycle you're in is a lot more relevant than like your all-time PR on a day that you just happen to be performing your best because uh, that submaximal work over time, as, as Cody mentioned, can do more than you really realize and more than you know if you're consistent with it, you're not getting injured, and you have that cumulative volume uh, and, and training consistency over a long period of time. And I think everything that Cody just outlined really illustrates that point of it allows you to be consistent, it allows you to train basically these multiple methodologies and develop these different capacities that you really truly need to be developed in all of these areas, whether it's strength, hypertrophy, et cetera. Um, so let's maybe use that as a way to 
to talk about what you're doing in that one third strength block and that two third hypertrophy block. And uh, you've mentioned longevity and injury several times now. Uh, so I'd love to get into some conversation about how we can be intelligent with our hypertrophy work and our movement selection in order to prevent injuries and ultimately also accomplish some of our physical goals, whether that's strength or uh, per perhaps an aesthetic goal as well. Yeah. Um, I, there's, I'm going to pick that apart because there's so many aspects of how we can lay that out. So I think a good example, um, just so people can have like a realistic approach to like working to a daily max, like something I've used in my programming, and I stole this from Joe DeFranco way back, is working to today's three rep max at the beginning of your training. So we go through an activation phase, which we'll touch on in a sec. Then we work to a three rep max in the squat or the bench or whatever. It's relative, right? Today is going to be different than tomorrow. It's going to be different than the day before. I'm following an RPE and I'm looking for today's three rep max. And that three rep max is going to determine what I do right after afterwards in the drop set or so on and so forth. But it's a way where I can get that one third of strength work into a hypertrophy program, right? Because I have accessory work, I have an activation phase all in this quote unquote hypertrophy range, which is somewhat mythical, I guess, <laughs> not really a thing because it's, it's really dependent, you know, because at the end of the day, a lot of it's going to come to cumulative volume and everything. But I like that you mentioned Joe DeFranco. Also, Westside is obviously big on mm -hmm. setting daily maxes and rotating their movement variations. And maybe we can talk a little bit about how that daily max plays into um, injury prevention. Variety obviously does well for certain neurotypes. And uh, ultimately, you know, I think can be used very strategically in a hypertrophy program because, um, you know, doesn't take the emphasis off of the hypertrophy work that you're doing and really does give you a lot of flexibility in terms of your programming uh, for, for particular movements. Even just if we were to look at a squat pattern, you know, going in and, and what you might do with like a high bar back squat versus low bar back squat versus front squat versus urcher squat. Like, you know, obviously we have these endless possibilities there. So really like that you were, you were diving into that. And then I think we're, we're probably going to have to dissect that volume side comment that you made as well, just so that makes sense for people. But yeah, uh, definitely, definitely need to slowly pick apart the, the layers here. And if anything, hopefully the audience is starting to see that like what seems like maybe simple on paper as far as like a couple pages of a training program, like there's really a lot of different layers and considerations and variables that go into it. And changing one or two things can really separate like an okay program from a good program from a great program. And so I'll let you kind of start picking those apart. Yeah. So I think like the cool thing about the three RM, the three at max is that studies show that submaximal work is going to produce as much strength as maximal work for the most part. So there's no reason to do max effort work like 90, 95% one rep max stuff all the time because injury is risk is just way higher. So doing working to a three rep max is going to keep you safer. You're still going to get the neurological strength benefit, power benefit, but you're also going to accumulate more volume because you're slowly building up to this three rep max. Right. Um, and I think that's the important thing. Now, what we mean by this hypertrophy range being kind of mythical is that the eight to 12 rep range, quote unquote, is really what produces hypertrophy, they say. But what studies have shown now is that you can do you know, 10 sets of three or three sets, of 10, whatever it may be. Like as long as volume is equated at the end of the week, you're going to grow just as much no matter what. So it's more about building that volume up in a way that you can adhere most to it. So if you enjoy three, five, seven rep stuff and nothing higher, cause you don't like doing the pump work, then stay in that rep range and just make sure your volume is equating to what your 
maximum recoverable or maximum adaptive volume is basically what's going to allow you to still recover, but also grow. Um, if you enjoy the pump work, then do the pump work because that's, what's going to build you up. Now, I personally believe if we get into the nitty gritty and studies can kind of show this too, because daily undulated periodization has kind of, kind of alluded to this, but basically doing both of those things is probably going to be the best way to go. And the best way to split these up in my mind is that I prefer upper lower splits for most people. Um, we're going to have two days a week where they're quote unquote max effort. And that's a relative term. I'm not going max effort, but that's a term built from West side conjugate method. So we use that still, but it's a conjugate split where two days a week, you're going heavy, a little bit lower rep range. So you can work on the squat, the hip hinge, the unilateral work, the presses, rows, all your basic stuff, same movement patterns as you will the other two days, but two days a week, you're going a little bit heavier, higher intensity, lower volume. Two days a week, you're going higher volume, quote unquote, hypertrophy range, a little bit lighter weight, moderate weight, and you can cycle this through. So now every week I'm doing about 50% of both strength and hypertrophy work. But if we go even deeper and look in the strength work, I mean, you're hitting eight, even some 10 rep stuff on the max effort day. So it's still more dominantly hypertrophy work across the scale of weeks and months. Um, but that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is something like, let's say I can't pick a day that I want to do my heavy squat because, or my heavy lower body, because I want to build the squat and the deadlift. So I want to be able to lift heavy in both. Well, do like a session by session undulation. So basically we're starting the session with that three rep max, but we're doing it for the overhead press, the bench press, the squat and the deadlift across four days. Now, as I go into accessory works and the quote unquote finisher, I'm slowly ramping up the volume of my reps. So I might start at three reps, but then my first accessory is six to eight, then it goes 10 to 12. And then I'm finishing with some 15 to 25 rep work doing some like metabolite lactate based threshold um, training. Now, every single session I'm doing strength, power and hypertrophy, which is another way I really enjoy it because I love doing pump work, but I also love lifting heavy. I just don't like lifting heavy repetitively. Um, and this comes down into individualization. So what do I like most to do? That's what I'm going to adhere to. And then adding to that, this is something that came up. You said frequency is a tool for better recovery, which I love the way you put that because for me, for example, I've had the multiple knee surgeries. It's something I'm working on right now. I have very, very limited range of motion in my left knee, which causes me to shift and create imbalances, but really only when I start getting fatigued because my leg is weaker on that side. So if I go super heavy on legs the whole day, halfway through that session, I'm shifting a bunch. I had to learn about this so I can ad adapt and either A, split up my volume and frequency for my legs a little bit more sparingly to not create more imbalances or B, basically choosing way more unilateral work because that's the only way I can avoid shifting, right? And I can lower the load that I'm using and still create as much tension on the muscle. So um, like Sam said, there's so many moving parts. And I think as you kind of listen to us talk, I think the important thing is, is that you should never change the program. And what I mean by that is I always get people that are like, Hey, well, you know, I was going to do the hip thrust, but somebody was over there. So I actually did this and this. And then I came back to the hip thrust and finished with my squat. And I'm like, Oh, like you can't do that because there's a reason from uh, posture. There's a reason from like pushing and pulling and how your body and joints work together in synergy to make sure you're avoiding injuries, but then also just energy fatigue, right? Like you talked about, um, doing some hypertrophy work before heavy compounds, which I think is something that Louis Simmons really started popularizing because he had people doing like sled pulls and glute ham raises and leg curls and things before doing a heavy squat, which was kind yeah, of unheard of. Yeah, Louis, Louis does it. And then also in bodybuilding, like John Meadows does a lot of that. Yeah. Typically with squats. So you'll do like hamstring work or for his females, they'll do glute work prior to squatting because 
Um, one, you know, you're less likely to be more quad dominant in your squat. Um, warmer hamstrings that are pumped sometimes create a little bit more stability for the knees. So depending on your issues with that, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, coaches who have used it for different reasons. So Louis Simmons obviously being on more of the strength side um, for powerlifting. And then, you know, someone like John, who actually, I believe, did train at Westside Barbo with mm -hmm. Louis for a while, um, you know, using that now as an application for bodybuilders. So that's a great example of where you're taking a philosophy and you're applying that philosophy as a tool in two totally different training outcomes or two training goals. So really, really think, you know, that's, that's something that we can take as kind of a nugget from this is that, you know, we can use that and uh, build it in, you know, using something that's, that's an intelligent methodology and then carrying it through. Um, there are so many times when you're talking about those rep ranges where I just like could not keep this in like to myself, but you're like 12 to 15 to eight to 10. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that thing where it's like, once you get above 13, it's the tone zone. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Cody, what about the tone zone uh, from Sam Miller and Brad Jensen? Sincerely. Uh, so, so yeah, the, uh, don't be afraid of the tone zone. I like what you said about working through multiple rep ranges and also being strategic. So that last point that you made, which I think is a really great segue uh, from, from volume and intensity and planning daily sessions, you were talking about exercise order and exercise selection. Like, hey, dude, if I program this for you this way, um, whether I said, Hey dude, but this could be for male or female client is just being strategic about your exercise selection and exercise order within the confines of a strength program or within the confines of a hypertrophy program, how that plays in into accumulating your total volume, the order of that volume, how the sequencing matters. And, um, I think you've, we've done a good job of weaving kind of the longevity component through this. You mentioned your knee and obviously we've talked about it at the beginning uh, today too, in terms of what makes a good training program. So, uh, I know this is something that I am like very, very, very particular about because it impacts not only your performance from an athletic and strength capacity, but also um, your your form, your posture, as Cody mentioned. And also, if you're looking for hypertrophy, you need to be able to make sure you're, fe you're kind of feeling what you're supposed to be working. So uh, if you're using your biceps too much on a movement that you're supposed to be using, like your back and your lats, or... Uh, as we mentioned in the squatting example, maybe you're favoring your quads as opposed to like using all of your legs, like your glutes and hams. I think the sequencing can play a very, very important role in terms of having a uh, balanced level of development across your, your musculature. So Cody, I'd love for you to dig into that a little bit and like, why, why don't you want people changing those programs? And they say, Hey man, the gym's crowded uh, or, you know, they don't understand, you know, why the sequencing is important. So I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that I'm glad you mentioned John Meadows because I think he he did train at Westside from what I'm familiar with. And he, I know he trained with Dave Tate a lot too, and those guys do the same thing at Elite FTS. But I think he definitely took that powerlifting, like this is going to allow you to perform better to an aspect of this is going to allow me to build more muscle for the long run. And I think that's where I, I really learned a lot about this from him um, and specifically exercise sequencing. So we talked about doing some hypertrophy work before all the heavy work in our program. And I think that's very intelligent, but this is where we have to understand the difference between pre-fatigue and pre-activation, right? So I always use the word activation because if we fire our hamstrings, we get our upper back working and we do like a side plank or a pal off press or some kind of anti-rotation. Now we've stimulated our shoulders for better posture. It's going to be easier to hold the bar up there or do a front squat. Um, we fired our hamstrings, which is going to be easier to squat 
deeper with our knees. And then we've done some kind of anti-rotation, which has been shown to help with torque in the hip. So we're going to have more external torque, be able to sit into the hips a little bit easier, right? This is great. But if we did six sets of that and we just crushed our hamstrings and we crushed our core, we're going to cramp. We're going to be overly fatigued. And it's actually going to lower the intensity we're allowed to go with that barbell, which makes volume lower. So I'm a fan of, and John Russin's big on this too, like do two or three rounds, right? Like I will stay in like three to four rounds if I'm doing pump work and just keep RPE at like seven. But he does a lot of like priming where he's doing like slams or some kind of neural charge, right? But either way, the point is, is we're not fatiguing, we're priming and activating. So you're prepared for the movement. Go ahead. And I think that's an important contrast to uh, not only the pre-activation versus pre-fatigue, but if we take someone like John Rusin versus John Meadows, um, there, there are a few different ad adaptations that are going to happen because eventually if you're doing this as pre-activation every single day, your body does become conditioned to either the pre-activation or what you're placing first before that movement. So if it's a priming phase and you're not used to doing that and you normally go into the gym, uh, I would argue that the benefits from activation are going to allow you to achieve better performance, even if you are like two, 5% more fatigued because you're, you're activating the working muscle better. Uh, also, obviously there's the component of, of reducing your injury risk. Uh, but you know, uh, specific adaptations to implied demands, if we're keeping that priming or activation in every single time, then we're ultimately going to be able to surpass or reach whatever our previous max was. Um, even with having that level of fatigue or activation, I would rather have you squat 315 instead of 335 if it means you're 95% less likely to get injured and you're also using proper form and you're using the muscle that we're intending for you to use, especially if it's a hypertrophy program or not going for strength anyway. So I think that's where the different considerations are important. But I think, Cody, uh, we both have learned that from, from both of those Johns, I think, in terms of incorporating that in our own programming. So I love that you were touching on that and emphasizing how, how crucial that is. I think what I gained from John is definitely that sequencing, not only in terms of your, your explosive contraction movements, but also stretching movements, what's going on at the joint, where the injury risk is and like where to put those in the workout. And then from someone like John Rusin, who's also very big on injury prevention and rehabilitation, that role of that activation. And I, I you know, I personally think that you can find a happy medium between that activation and pre-fatigue. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, obviously that's going to be more RPE scale based and your, the intensity. Um, but would you agree that with your clients, eventually over time, they do adapt to that stimulus and fatigue where they're maybe less tired by the time they get to their, their barbell work? hundred percent. And if you look at that, like you said, drop down to 315 instead of 335. Yes, right now. But because you're so much better at doing it more efficient, and your body's working properly, you're going to progressively overload faster than you would have if you would have continued down the road of jumping in on on unfatigued, I guess you call it unactivated, right? So I think it's very important for that. Um, and then also to think about supporting muscles. So a lot of people hear pre-fatigue and they think, okay, I'm going to do pec flies before I do a bench press. So I bring more blood flow into the chest. And they've done studies on this and actually showed that because volume ended up being lower since you fatigued the chest, less volume was directly hit on the chest at the end of the workout and you actually had worse results. So it's more about activating uh, your nervous system and then activating muscles that are going to support the joints going through the movement. That's why we say hamstrings for a squat. Squat isn't a hamstring dominant movement. It's a quad dominant movement, but you're going to, you're going to squat heavier doing hamstring curls first than you would doing leg extensions first. And that's the key component here, right? So, and then as we go through this exercise sequencing plan, it's kind of looking at 
a couple things, one being energy systems, right? Like you're going to be more fatigued from doing a heavy squat. Therefore, it should be placed higher on the list than curls and leg extensions and things like that. It's also going to, that's going to make your injury risk lower because you have more energy, more mental focus, more neurological focus to actually get through the movement. So looking at things from like an activation, then a compound, I guess, power strength portion where we kind of hit and this is what I lay out in functional muscle as well like we activate in prime then we go through our strength phase which is usually our compound lifts then we go through like what I call an optimization phase which is usually our accessory work and I think this can change person to person Um, if strength is your number one goal you're probably going to be doing a strength-based accessory movement to support the compound that either you just lifted or that you're going to be lifting on the other day so it could be a deadlift or a squat accessory movement if you have time to do more volume you can do both and then we finish with something that's going to be relative to the person at hand if it's hypertrophy this is where we add in the metabolite training which is really just like you said the tone zone right like going 15 20 25 reps focusing on the pump building that lactic acid Um, you can add in some of the stuff where like i know john meadows does his stretch phase of the workout where you're emphasizing the eccentric adding pauses in the stretch phase of the movement because we know the stretch phase is actually going to tear down muscle fibers and help hypertrophy as well so that could be and this is brutal if anybody wants to try it like doing a a squat based movement or a leg based movement and then doing like hip flex or quad stretches or doing a hamstring stretch after an rdl or doing even like a a elbow flexed tricep stretch after doing extensions things that are going to stretch the muscle you just worked you don't want to do that at the beginning it's a great hypertrophy technique but if you do that at the beginning you're going to be crushed before you even get to the heavy compound movements so you don't want to do that things like blood flow restriction those are brutally insane for pumps and lactate and you want to do those at the end because you're not going to perform a bench press well after you've just done that so understanding these sequencing and going through um, is going to help you and I know we had a question about like high intensity finishers at the end of the workouts why do I do that Um, and this is the same thing if somebody's goal is fat loss I might place four, five, six intervals of high intensity cardio or ropes, sled, whatever it may be at the very end for a couple of reasons. Number one, I want to match up the central nervous system intense days all in one rather than doing heavy strength day that's super intense on the nervous system, super hard conditioning the next day, so on and so forth. Some people can handle it, but only for so long because we're just hammering the sympathetic nervous system every single day. Um, also, Some studies show muscle protein synthesis can actually increase at the end of your workout, adding some kind of high-intensity fashion. And then last but not least, if we do this at the end, we don't need a lot of mental focus. We don't need – like we do need energy, but even if it's grueling to get through, you're still getting the caloric effect that we're we're after, the fat-burning effect that we're after. And we shouldn't place that at the beginning of your workout because it's just going to fatigue you before you get onto stuff. So that's kind of how I – I know that was like ramping through them, but like if we look at sequencing – from the beginning to the end of a workout. These are the kind of things that go into our mind and why you shouldn't be changing things around in a workout. Um, And then just to add one last little thing is like, we look at RPE percentages, rest periods, um, movement patterns, the sequencing of exercises, all these things play a massive role in your injury prevention as well and how your joints feel and how your posture ends up down the line. So there's a reason why there's a certain amount of pulling to pushing. There's a certain reason why there's amount of um, hip extension versus flexion of the knees and the hips and things like that. So when we start changing exercises, if you are with a coach, it's so much, it's so important to ask the coach first, like, can I switch this for this because the gym doesn't have this? Don't just assume because everything has a reason behind it. And I think that's really what the art of program design comes down to. 
it's like the difference between, all right, subbing one type of hip thrust for a different type of hip thrust versus, oh, I'm going to do leg extensions because, oh, Cody's having me do quote unquote leg day versus thinking of things in terms of movements instead of just the muscle that they're developing. Well, even in that case, like leg extension is going to be mostly a quad isolation versus, uh, you know, hip extension type movement. So that's where, you know, Cody specifically talking about the movements, dude, I love, this is why I love you, man. You literally went from like DC stretching with like intense eccentrics and like extended holds and what Dante Trudell talks about to like metabolic, which is borderline like CrossFit orange theory by the end of what we were doing. And I was like, Oh man, I just so many times that I've had a couple of thoughts. I got to like, I, I really need to, uh, keep better, better notes while I'm talking to you, man. Cause we end up, we end up covering a lot. Um, definitely in terms of the, uh, the conditioning at the end. Also just think common sense. Like, you know how you feel after doing sprints on an airdyne bike. Do you really want to go and do squats right after that or like immediately before or the next day? So when Cody's talking about putting those high intensity intervals, one reason that I might put them at the end of a particular session is because I know what we're training the next day. So if this is your day three and you're going to go in on day four, um, I'm keeping in mind your recovery across the week, your recovery for the next session, what's going to feel fresh. Maybe you can do a steady state type of, of work, or you could do something that's more upper body intensive, like sledgehammer swings or carries uh, versus, you know, if you're fatiguing, the re it's called high intensity intervals or high intensity cardio for a reason. It's because it's high intensity and it will ultimately impact uh, your other training. So I think being intelligent with it, like Cody talked about, putting it at the end of a session allows you to consider not only what you're doing in that session, what you're doing in subsequent sessions and kind of managing recovery which is ultimately going to impact your training frequency so something to think about too with that is like you mentioned crossfit and, and okay so two things here i've had experience with crossfit bodybuilding strength where all these things and instead of me being dogmatic of like i like this way like i take pieces of everybody's pie and i make this big ass pie i guess i don't know like i i create this own thing that i'm using because everything has merit so um you just mentioned doing airdyne bikes before a squat if my goal is hypertrophy, there's no way in hell I'm going to do that because it's going to make me inefficient at the squat, which means my volume and intensity is going to lower, which means hypertrophy is going to be less. If I'm a CrossFit competitor, I might do that because my job is to become really good at the shit that I'm not supposed to be good at, right? If you look at CrossFit, it's just, it's insane the shit that they throw together and it's pretty, it's interesting and it's entertaining. And for some people it's what they like to do and there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, is they're supposed to be good at unconventional things. They, their goal isn't hypertrophy. Their goal is to be the fittest people in the world, right? So it's to be good at what you're not supposed to be good at, like mixing the energy systems in a way they're not supposed to be mixed, which is awesome in its own right. But people need to understand that every goal and outcome and person has a different application. Um, and as we lay these programs out, like with exercise selection, feeding off what you said is like, it's like, like, oh, Cody wants me to do 200 carbs. Well, I guess this doesn't apply. I was gonna say you could just switch it for fats because they're totally different, but calories in versus calories out kind of matters. So that's a horrible example. But what I'm trying to say is, like you said, you can't switch a hip thrust for a leg extension, right? In the same way, we might have a certain amount of quad volume to build your quads, but we program it in a way to have a certain amount of knee extension versus hip extension reflection for the quads. Or like for the biceps, a supinated grip between a neutral grip does hit different heads of the biceps. So we might do a certain amount of volume on supinated grip one day, neutral grip one day, and there's a reason for that. So if you're switching the curl today, it goes even further than, okay, he has me doing hammer curls. I'm just going to do preacher curls because the, there's no neutral grip bar or whatever it may be. You should still find a way to do neutral grip because there's a reason we have you doing that because your positioning of your joints 
plays a role in hypertrophy as well. And this is just going into the weeds deeper, which I don't think we can do justice on a podcast, but I wanted to kind of throw it out there because during the seminar, I know we're going to talk about that. You know, and for, for the example I was using with the Aerodyne bike, obviously we're speaking more to like 70% of the general population clients that may come to us and like realistically their recovery versus someone who's, who's prepping for like CrossFit games or Wadapalooza is going to be totally different than, than what we're talking about here. Uh, but do love that you kind of went into that in terms of, I, I'm a, this is like a pet peeve of mine, but in terms of grips and the difference and, um, you know, your hand positioning, your foot positioning, your body angles creates, can make a movement either mechanically advantageous or disadvantageous. Uh, basically when we're thinking about the amount of leverage that you have to move a weight. So I'm a huge fan of mechanical drop sets. I think it's an intelligent way that you can potentially go past failure without necessarily having to always uh, adjust your weight so you can potentially just plan things accordingly. And if you're smart with it, I think it can be a powerful tool in your, in your arsenal at, at certain points in time with your training. So Cody's example with uh, your grip that could be on a row or bicep or even a pressing variation, what you're activating and, and based on like your limb length and many other factors, uh, it's, it's really going to show up across your training program. You may not feel a difference the first day, but if you're consistently doing that and substituting and not paying attention over time, it really, really does make uh, a substantial difference in my opinion, in terms of your overall development and, and balance. hundred percent. But that's, and that's again, something that people don't think about in coaching, but then also when you're reading a program, right? Um, so I think that's really, really important. And even for some people, like I mean, we were talking about um, when we were in Arizona, like elbow pain, right? Certain people get like, it's, it has nothing to do with me necessarily using or like working my triceps that creates elbow pain. It's the positioning of my joints and my grip that determines whether I feel elbow pain. So it's somewhat individual and we can learn these things about people as we go. Um, man, I think that, uh, I, I was just thinking in my head, we have like 20 questions to go over. So now yeah. I'm kind of like, maybe what we should do because we're already at almost an hour and we just flew through that and I could probably talk about this all day we're probably gonna have to do another podcast. So maybe I just have you on for the next Q and a, and then we should take the nutrition questions we get from your podcast and do like a full Q and a episode where we both go back and forth. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm cool with whatever. I know we saved them. So it's not like we'll, we'll lose them. We've got, we could, you know, break it out as part training. So we do have training Q and a from you guys. I know Cody threw it up in, in his Facebook groups and private groups. I threw some up on my Instagram and saved them. So we definitely do have your questions and, and want to make sure we're tackling those. Just so much to talk about. I agree. We could definitely go, whether it's training or nutrition. And I think case in point, this is why we do what we do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so man, I'm excited for the seminar. Was there anything, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel like we have to touch on before we close this out? You know, I like to end on the note of just, just in terms of recovery. So all of this planning and training and effort that you're putting in, in the gym and also all the effort that we may put in as coaches, uh, realistically will come down to like what you can recover from. Something may look great on paper, but being able to execute that, recover from it, and then build that progression over time, I think is really, really important. So we've talked a lot of, a lot of different, really cool concepts, exercise sequencing, all these different things. But um, I think Cody would agree that ultimately when we're designing something for an individual or for a particular goal, uh, that's ultimately going to play a role when it comes to volume. It's going to play a role when it comes to your training frequency and also intensity, both from a neurological standpoint and uh, from a musculoskeletal standpoint as well. So 
I think that would put a, a nice bow on, on the conversation in terms of managing all of those variables. You know, we're managing the variables because we want to manage recovery. We're also going to be managing your nutrition, um, which we'll be talking about in the next podcast, I think is a great segue. Uh, ultimately, this is where there's a bridge between training and nutrition. There are variables in training that impact your recovery. There are uh, life variables and nutritional variables that are going to impact your recovery as well. So this is where you start to see those two um, start to intertwine and where it becomes uh, really crucial to pay attention to both and, and have someone who's able to understand both the training side of things and the nutrition side of things and uh, keep that in mind for kind of your overarching program moving forward. Yeah. I think that uh, something for people to remember is, you know, like Renaissance periodization does a good job at this. And so does James Krieger, um, just putting out information about volume thresholds. So like the typical volume threshold to like build muscle to focus on hypertrophy is going to be around 15 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. That's what they've shown to be like the most effective for volume. Um, 10 to 15 being maintenance, less than 10 is going to be like worrying about like losing anything. For advanced lifters, they even show stuff to like 30 plus, which I think is unnecessary for most people. Um, most people being like 95% of people, there are the, the people that need to go to this crazy amount and have like a super compensation effect to build muscle. It's just very few and far between. But I want to throw this out there because yes, 15 to 20 sets per week per muscle is probably going to build the most hypertrophy fee but not only like first of all we can't do this across the board so if we look at recovery and we look at our nervous system which is going to be the number one thing even on a muscular tissue level it's going to be the number one thing that determines our ability to recover even if we're sore on a muscular level if our nervous system is really fatigued our tissue is not going to rebuild and if it does we're still going to be burnt out and not be able to perform so you know we can't go okay 20 sets per week per muscle group is what leads to hypertrophy I'm going to do 20 sets per muscle group of every muscle group every week. That's going to lead to, ner lead to nervous system fatigue. That's going to lead to overtraining, quote unquote, which is iffy if that's like a true thing, but it's going to lead to too much overreaching at the end of the day. So you need to think about like, okay, right now I want to focus on my glutes and my lats. So I'm going to do 20 to 25 sets per week there, and I'm going to lower the rest of my body parts volume to maintenance level. And this is something I do with a lot of my guys who want to build muscles. Like let's maintain the muscle groups you're happy with. Let's spend two phases, like eight weeks, 12 weeks at max focusing on one to two body parts where we really bring volume up and then we cycle the body parts we're working on because we can't do that much volume across the board. And then to add to that, I, I mentioned maximal recoverable volume earlier. This is the individualized side of that. I might be able to handle 25 sets per week on my lats, but you might have lats that don't need as much attention. So why not follow the, the minimal effective dose and do a little bit less so you can handle more recovery or you literally cannot handle as much uh, volume in that area. So you're going to tone it down a bit because that's your personal maximum recoverable volume. And I think that's important for people to understand because there's a lot of information out there that show these numbers of like this equals hypertrophy, this equals maintenance, and they're relative. They're not individual person to person. And it's almost impossible to determine exactly what your number is, but you just got to test things. You got to practice things. You got to implement things. Go into an overreaching phase. There's been plenty of times where I ramped shit up super high and afterwards was like, okay, that was a little too hard. I got to tone it down next time. But this is going into an overreaching phase to learn about my body so I can understand my personal programming a little bit better. For sure. Yeah. I, I like that you divided that. Just remember it's called a specialization phase for a reason, or it's called like a weak point phase. Like you can't specialize in everything all the time. Yeah. Eventually, or, or if you do, you should plan on, um, you know, some type of 
reduction in volume or deload afterwards. Actually, we, we probably could have spent a little bit of time talking about deloads and stuff, but maybe that goes in the Q&A because I think there was some stuff on maximal recoverable volume. Uh, um, you know, because I think there's there's varying philosophies about like break time off versus deloads versus like auto regulation. And uh, some people with like work travel will miss the gym anyways. And then it's like, well, do you really need to deload if we've been like under the volume anyway? So that might be a good uh, Q&A component as well, because I know there are a lot of people who will ask about time off from the gym. Uh, you know, my, my standpoint is kind of like life will create reasons for you to have time off from the gym. I'm sure now with your daughter more than ever, like that becomes um, kind of a pressing priority. So definitely uh, things to consider along with that maximal recoverable volume is you know, you know, your deload or recovery phases, are you planning this as a specialization phase or like adding it on top of whatever your maintenance volume is and, and going from there. So probably some good points that I think uh, if you guys have, have questions on after we're airing this one, I know we have our next interviews lined up as well. And then we can kind of combine that and pull the Q&A questions to really dive into to everything. So we just kind of posted those within the last couple of days. Yeah, 100%, man. I think everything we've gone over has been super on point. And just know for everybody who is interested in attending the seminar, remember there is a link in the show notes. But most importantly, we just like threw out so much information. And during the seminar, this is going to be packaged very nicely with a bow. Um, we This is like literally we jumped on the call. We're like, what do you want to talk about today? Like it was just kind of freestyle. And this is just off the top of our heads. So at the seminar, there's going to be more hands-on and more presentation style stuff where we can really take you guys through application-based like programming and stuff on the whiteboard so you see how we do this stuff um, and implement it man so dude thank you for coming on the show thank you for quote-unquote interviewing me on my show um, I think that turned out good yeah it was the uh, takeover and I like that you were like making a pie of different training programs it's like the boom boom performance pie so <laughs> now, uh, I'm, I'm happy I got to interview you man I really I enjoyed being on the other side I'm looking forward to you always ask good questions and uh, I did this after our, our last podcast, but you talked about, uh, you always ask about the three people, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think you've shared that publicly, but I did get it in a text. So I wanted to wrap up our podcast today with, of course, the question that you always ask everyone. It's the three people um, alive. So they're living or dead, excuse me, three people living or dead. Cody's way better at asking this question than I am. Cannot <laughs> be family or friends. Uh, who are you sitting with and why? You know, it's probably changed since the last time we talked. Um, I almost want to say Batman because you said that, and Batman's been my favorite superhero <laughs> for a long time. But, I forgot, to be honest, I totally forgot forgot my answers. So, yeah, but Bruce Wayne would be a badass person to sit down with. It's cool. It's true. It's true. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot there. So I'm gonna let you. You know, you can feel free to uh, to to pick from from my answers as well. So if you got Batman on there. I don't think I'm going to go with Batman because I think I have the three that I know. And number one would definitely be, I think I've always said this and it's Rob Deerdeck. I sound like a fanboy because I keep repeating his name, but Rob Deerdeck is just super inspiring to me. Like the dude is, he's a hustler and he like, not only has he been one of the most successful skateboarders of all time, just one of the most successful TV stars, entrepreneurs. He helps other people. I don't think a lot of people know this, but he helps other people create their businesses. So he funds them, gives them the creative genius behind it builds it up and then just walks away because he just loves the mission behind building stuff, which is really cool. So definitely Rob Deerdeck. Um, I would probably throw Joe Rogan in there because, you know, like Tim Ferriss has that, uh, I think it's called the Book of Titans or something like that. I haven't read it, but. Tools of, Tools of Titans. There you go. Uh, Tribe of Mentors are his two books. 
Right. So he takes all these people he's interviewed and create this thing. Well, like Joe Rogan has interviewed so many different people. I don't know if you listened to the recent one with Mike Tyson, but it was insane. But he's interviewed so many different people that he has so much knowledge. And if you actually listen to him, he's actually really fucking smart. Like he's a really intelligent guy when he gets on those. So um, Joe Rogan would be at the table. And I think him and Rob Beardick would be pretty hilarious together. And then the last one would probably be um, – it would have to be somebody in history, probably like Socrates or uh, like some old Roman Greek philosopher, somebody that just like, I, I don't know for sure, maybe even somebody like Abe Lincoln, somebody that was way before our time, somebody that has a lot of knowledge, has created a lot of change in the world that we still see today um, that has a lot of wisdom that he could share with us. I don't know who that person would be, but it'd be yeah, like one of the stoic, you know, you got like Marcus Aurelius and guys from the daily stoic and, and yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like the Socrates answer. You got Socrates, Aristotle, all these different philosophers and could really give you some pers perspective, not only on philosophy, but history as well. Kind of bring them back. I like that we went from Batman to like Socrates, man. That was a good, uh, <laughs> good thing, but I enjoyed, uh, I always enjoy, you know, hearing those answers and, and so being able to ask you on the show, I think it's cool because Obviously, you know, your listeners follow along for the content, but I think seeing your personality like off the podcast too and, and that conversation that we talked about definitely sheds a lot of light on who you are. So glad I got to come on today and be the one asking the questions and also looking forward. I'm going to have to prepare for our next one. I feel like we're ramping up in terms of every time I talk to you, we literally find ourselves in more stuff. Uh, I'm really excited for the seminar on March 23rd as well. I think it's going to be a great way to really spend a, a full day answering people's questions and giving the most comprehensive picture that we can never really do in an hour long podcast. 100% man. I can't, I couldn't agree more. And I think people are going to get a lot out of it. So we'll leave the rest to the next podcast guys. So there will be a third now as well. So stay tuned for the second and uh, we'll catch you then. <laughs>